does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. And I'm excited to bring in a friend of mine, guest line brought to you again by the Mower Shop in Fishers. It's where Bob Kravitz and I always take our mowers. I just uh, threw you in that one, Bob, but I do. For all your snow blowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. A lot of hosts won't read all that, but I do because I believe in the Fishers and, of course, the Mower Shop. Bob Kravitz. Whew, that's a lot of words. You remember when you used to do this job, Bob? Oh my God. I don't know how I don't know how Indianapolis survived two two years of me and Eddie. <laughs> Eddie White, if you if you don't know, I was in this building actually. Uh, what was that show called again? Kravitz and Eddie? It was just Kravitz and Eddie for about ten minutes. It was called uh, No Experience Necessary. Or something like that. It was also the name of the Jeff Saturday story, uh, as a matter of fact. But, uh, yeah, it was no experience necessary for about 10 minutes, and then they went to Kravitz and Eddie. What, what, what is this Jeff Saturday story? What, I, I'm, am I missing something? No experience necessary. Oh, my gosh. The comedian doesn't get the joke. That's how it works sometimes. Can so, we get a buzzer for Scott? Yeah. Hit me with the buzzer. Bob, Bob hold on a second. Jimmy hates the buzzer. <laughs> we did that yesterday because Greg Greg, uh, Greg Greg Straw has about 15 jobs, and he was allowed a minute or two to talk about each one, and then we would hit him with the buzzer. Well, that, that's the, that's the uh, response that I got when I did stand-up quite often uh, <laughs> that, that particular night. Just kind of a... Kind of a weird silence, uneasy silence. That's not true, Bob. I know you're trying to be talking about. You're trying to be uh, uh, modest, but Bob killed that night. He walked up with a bottle of alcohol and a paper bag on stage to begin with. A lot of people came to see Bob. Of course, he pulls that out. And, of course, people thought he was going to drink from the bottle. He starts hyperventilating in the paper bag. It's a very yeah. funny visual. It was great. Bob Kravitz, there's stuff going on now in Indianapolis again. You uh, have basically spent your whole career, all kinds of different stops. We don't have to go through them. You're at The Athletic now. But the team, at least one team, was really always pretty good. Yeah. Until the last couple years, kind of. This coaching search, you've gone through a few of them before. Uh, where's your head on it right now? You know, I, I honestly think they're going to end up with Stike or Callahan. That's, that's not based on any inside information. So don't, if you have a, a blog, God bless you, but don't uh, say that Bob Kravitz said it's one of those two guys. I just... Looking at the group, I mean, I like Raheem Morris. I like guys who've done it before. Um, I, I, I think second, you know, coaches, their second time around, figure it out. But uh, I think they're because they they're going to start anew with a with a new quarterback, uh, either Levis or Stroud. One would assume. Uh, I think they go for the young quarterback whisperer. So I think looking at the guys who are coming back. I got to think it's either Steichen or Callahan. 
Okay. So tell me your feelings about the two of those guys. Do you lean towards one of them? If both names are laid on on the table, their resumes, the way you think they're going to work, do you have like a favorite between those two? No, not terribly. All I know is this. Uh, Peyton Manning is a big Callahan fan. Right. Uh, they, they worked together in uh, Denver when Peyton was there. Uh, he has worked with uh, Stafford. He has worked with Burrow, uh, both pretty good quarterbacks. So, you know, if I had to choose one or the other, I guess Callahan, but I don't have a strong feeling one way or the other, to be honest with you. They're both, they're both, they both have really good resumes. Kravi, this is a question I've asked a number of people on this show, and Hagen thinks that Saturday is going to get the job. He just told us at 1230. So if that's even in the realm of happening, you you got to sell the fan base on that. So how do they do it if they hire Saturday? How is that possible to sell the fan base that Saturday not only comes in, but Ballard sticks around? Yeah. I mean, you just can't. I I don't know. I have never seen – an entire city turn on a one a, a on a beloved former player like this. Um, you know, look, I, I I understand it. You know, if if in fact he's been uh, uh, you know talking with reporters, not me. I haven't gotten any calls or texts from him, but I don't think that that looks good. And I, I think. You know, his lack of experience, the way that they got embarrassed time and again those last uh, seven games, I I don't think you can sell it. And that's one of the reasons why I don't think that Jeff Saturday is going to be the guy. Again, blog, blog folks, I'm not saying I have inside information, but I'm just telling you that if I were the Colts, I would not, I would not see my way clear to hire Jeff Saturday. You know, it's it's interesting that you bring up Callahan because that's been the name the last day or so that's kind of been released and Peyton Manning and, you know, and there, there, there's some back channels I feel like's going on here. Can I throw out that Peyton Manning, if Peyton Manning wants the job? No. Take, no, 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 no. I know no one's saying he does and he doesn't, yeah. <laughs> but I'll take that. I'll take Peyton Manning. Oh, you'd be happy with that. Right. The whole world would in Indianapolis. But his resume referrals, not great. Adam Gase, he got two jobs out of that. And the guy was a disaster as a coach, a disaster at the press conference. I'm not saying Callahan's that guy, but man, you know, you got to be careful first out of the gate. Who's the guy that you're giving a reference to? That's why I'm like, ah, I, I mean, Zach I Taylor, that. you know, yeah, was- I, can, I, I can understand that. And look, I, I'm looking at all the guys. Uh, I think uh, Zach Key from my colleague just, uh, tweeted out all the guys who are coming back and, and it's, it's an impressive pretty impressive list outside of outside of the former center here in indianapolis um all these guys i mean i i really i i know i said it before i like retread you know as far as coaches go Me too uh, i i just you know you look at andy reed you look at belichick you look at you know doug peterson right. I, I like guys who who who've lived it and learned from it 
and I think there's something to be said for that. I also like the young, state-of-the-art quarterback whisperer, and I think that that's what I can and Callahan bring to the table. And this is a fairly unique situation where you're going to have a brand-new quarterback unless something really weird happens. Now, Bob, uh, where are you currently? Let's find well, out. I was, I was going to go to Purdue, but I changed my mind. Okay, but you were going to so go I up am, to- I am home. Okay, that really wrecked my smooth segue into Purdue. Okay. Are you going to do a story on Purdue? What What's going on? Well, I'm, uh, I'm uh, collecting stuff, and uh, obviously Saturday afternoon uh, is just a massive game. Yeah, I mean, you got uh, Edie against Jackson Davis, Purdue versus Indiana. Yeah. I, I think I have to double-check, but it's been many years since both teams were ranked and played one another. Uh, I thought I saw 2007, but don't don't quote me on that. Yeah. Um, so it's been a while since both teams were this good. And, I mean, you think Assembly Hall be rocking? It's yeah. Gonna be, it's going to be nuts. And I'm really curious to see Edie and, and Jackson Davis. I mean, they've obviously faced each other many times before, but it was always – when when Jackson Davis had a team uh, that you know around him that wasn't very good, um, you didn't have anybody who could shoot the way Kuchipino uh, can shoot, uh, the way Galloway's been shooting from three this year. So um, I think it's going to be a fascinating matchup. I, I have uh, I've I've kind of had one viewpoint the last couple years about IU. I've always thought the problem. Sorry, fans of Xavier Johnson. I don't like him. I think he, you don't he, like him? I don't like him. I think he makes a lot of mistakes. He's always terrible on the road. You look at his home road splits. Yeah. I think he'd be great. Yeah, this game at home. But I like the chemistry that's kind of been built with not one guy just pounding the rock. I feel like yeah. there's been a lot of better movement. I think whoever's playing there, if it's Hood Chafino or if it's Galloway, whoever has the ball, I just feel like it's not one guy, it's three or four. And sometimes that can actually work. I love the movement of the ball. I think the defense has been a little more cohesive. We had Don Fisher on yesterday. He talked about how the defense had really improved over the last three or four games. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited about this game. And, you know, it, you're right. It's been, what, 16 years, 15 years. That's crazy that a game like this that used to just be, it was the best game. Duke, North Carolina, okay, whatever. Those teams play in a different situation. There was hatred, pure hatred. They're not close to each other even, like 30 miles away like Duke and North Carolina. It's great for the state, especially when you Colts and the Pacers are not where they need to be with the fans. We have a game to watch. And ESPN, for some reason, is setting up shop at Duke, uh, North Carolina. I don't understand Ugh. that. you got the number one team against whatever yeah. IU is today, 20-whatever. Um, I would think that, that would be a more attractive game for you know for your, to set your, your guys up, but apparently not. But, yeah, it's going to be – it's going to be magical. I'm, I'm, I'm also looking forward to Thursday night with uh, uh, the Lakers uh, coming into town against the Pacers because we'll, we'll find out uh, whether Halliburton makes the all-star team, which 
you know, I, I know in the big picture it's not really that important, but if you know Halliburton a little bit and you know what it means to, to the Pacers to get kind of that national recognition for one of their players, it's a real big deal. So we'll find out Thursday night whether Halliburton is the uh, all-star team. Bob Kravis with, uh, with us on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. Kravis, we'll get into the Pacers in a sec. My question on Purdue uh, the, you know, the back-to-back years of being number one, they've been able to hold it now for a matter of weeks. They're playing well, just one loss. But, of course, the caveat for Purdue in the last couple of years has been their performance in the NCAA tournament from North Texas to St. Peter. So do you get a sense that this team is different? And I know we'll all find out in March, but is this team different? Are they capable of making that run? They're capable of making that run. If you're good enough to be number one now, you're good enough to make a run in March. What I will say is, and I, I said this on a, on a different station uh, a couple of days ago, um, I think that last year's team had more raw talent. You know, you had you had Edie, you had Trevion, you had uh, Jaden Ivey. Um, I I don't know that you have any uh, lottery players uh, on this roster. I, I'd be scared to death. Look, they're going to make the second weekend of the of the of the tournament without question. But, boy, I tell you what, if Edie gets in foul trouble, is Kaufman Wren ready to play big minutes just in case that happens? And that that's the thing that always scares me. I, I love their young guards, um, you know, but I don't know that you have a guard who can break people down the way Jaden Ivey could. So I thought for pure uh, talent, last year's team was better, but – you know, this team plays together so beautifully. Um, so they, they'll they get to the second week. Whether they can make the final four, I, I don't know. I mean, I the year of Carson uh, Edwards, I wasn't so sure they could get there. They came within, uh, you know, a last-second basket by Diakite from uh, Virginia of getting to the final four that year. So who knows? The thing that's really shocked me about Purdue, on, in a very positive light, uh I saw Braden Smith and I saw a lawyer play in high school. I saw a game, each of them. The best game I've ever seen one player have in a game, uh, Braden Smith beat, I think was number one or number two or number three Fishers in the sectionals. He came back. The place was on fire. He was, he was like Carson Edwards, but he was a high school senior. And I'm like, this kid's unreal. He has yeah. like a Scott Skiles if he's not looking for a shot attitude, which Aaron I Kraft. absolutely I love. Aaron Kraft, how do you feel about him? Yeah, but Aaron Kraft couldn't a better, shoot. A better shooter. Yes. A shooter. It's, it's really exciting to watch. Uh, I wasn't believer in Foster. I thought Lawyer would take a year or so because his body was so. So there's no history of freshman guards doing well in the Big Ten. And so I keep waiting, and I'm like, ah, they're going to lose at Michigan State. Whoever has sent two guards to East Lansing and one in that place, and they did it. Right. They found ways to win. It's just a really unique team. Instead of finding ways to lose, like most boiler teams that have been really well put together, well coached, this team seems to have that opposite thing where they have a way of finding ways to win. Of course, there will be no game where the crowd will be more frenzied 
then Saturday. It's almost sad that these teams have to play a game before that. It'll be interesting. Don Fisher, scared to death of Maryland this uh, tonight. I don't blame him. I mean, that's a tough place to play. They have a lot of talent. And who knows if IU is looking ahead. I got to think they are. No one's talking about that game. I agree with you. I agree with you. Maryland, uh, Maryland, I think, is undefeated in the Big Ten at home. I I believe that's right. Um, Maryland's been playing great basketball. They've knocked off some big-time folks lately. So I think that's going to be a really rough game. I mean, Purdue's got it relatively easy. They've got, uh, I think, Penn State coming up. But, yeah, uh, uh, the game – uh, against Maryland is going to be a real test of their mettle. Bob Kravitz with us from The Athletic. Um, of course, Bob has been when, – when did you get to Indianapolis? I got here in 2000, so 23 years. Yeah, this is an exciting – did you see Jim Boeheim's uh, yes. press conference? And then it reminded me of uh, Coach K's one that he had last year. I believe these are both like college reporters asking legitimate questions. Legitimate questions. And I, I actually talked a little bit. Uh, I, I work as a uh, – I, I kind of help out at Ball State uh, with their sports journalism folks, their, kid, their students. And we talked about this a little bit yesterday. Um, you can't – be cowed by these guys. Some of these guys are just bullies, and they think that sports journal uh, that um, uh, that student journalists are supposed to be public relations arms for the university. When the fact of the matter is, they're doing the same job as the guy from as the person from the Syracuse paper or wherever. And I listened to the question, and it was perfectly legitimate. Yeah. And the next day. The next day, he was asked about a player who didn't didn't play in the game, and Beheim was an ass about that as well. Uh, so that's just the way he rolls. I've seen Beheim in action. I've seen Shashevsky in action. They, you know, student student journalists should, uh, you know, I mean, what I told my kids was, I mean, Bob Knight pulled that stuff with me all the time, which was quite fun. And I I made sure to ask a question or two every every press conference, and he would just look and say, "Next question." No, but Bob, let's tell let's tell the real truth of this story. I think you're forgetting when a young Bob Kravitz comes from the suburbs of Chicago to uh, be a journalist and a goalie for the club team at IU. Is that correct, hockey goalie? Yes, I grew up in New York, but I lived in Chicago, too, and, yes. uh, later in high school. And, yeah, I, Knight and I, I'll keep this short, Knight and I had a really good relationship early on. Mm-hmm. But then I wrote something that he didn't like. I can't exactly recall what it is I wrote, but he didn't like it. And he went off on me to practice one day. Uh, he let me in. Uh, uh, he, he started letting us into practice, and uh, that ended after that day. He didn't talk to the daily student for years after I left. I think I was the last straw for for quite some time. But uh, yeah, he he wouldn't let me in the locker room. He wouldn't answer my questions. But you know what? You find ways around it. You find ways to get the job done. And I think I did. 
Did you feel Brennan like that was like a not only a veteran reporter, uh, I think the best columnist in the history of this city, and also he's a teacher. He's teaching. It's well done. Young journalists that there's ways to work around that to still do your job if your job is to first try to find the truth and the coach doesn't like the truth. Not better to just go, you know, soft on it. Just find a different way. I love it. Just find a different way. You just work. You work. You do a workaround, and you'll find what you need. need. I remember when I got the job at Texas Tech, and the 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 star wanted me to go down to Lubbock, and virtually the entire national media was was covering that game. He his guy refused to give me a press credential, so I bought a ticket. (laughs) (laughs) I bought a ticket. I got quotes from uh, from another journalist in Indiana- in Indianapolis. I gave him a tape recorder. I wrote my column uh, in my car uh, in the parking lot in a driving rainstorm, and uh, you know went back to the hotel. This is back in the old days. Sent it from there where I had a phone line, and uh, got it done. That was evocative. You could just imagine Bob in his car. It's West Texas, the hellhole of the world. I'm telling you. It is the worst. The worst part of the United States. I've been 46. Sorry. Lubbock, is that a plan? stop for you possibly, Brendan? I don't want to wreck that. No, but actually, I... uh... I'm going to spring training in March, but I'm making it a weekend. My buddy's having his bachelor party in Austin. Austin's so I'm going to I'm I'm fly from here to Austin, bachelor party, then fly to Phoenix for spring training. All that's good. Well, those so are I, great, I think it'll be great okay. stops. Lubbock is not. No. Oh, Bob, what are we going to do? You got coaching. You've got the best game in college basketball on Saturday. You're excited about that Lakers Pacers Thursday. There's action actually happening. All around us. It's I'm a beautiful. A- Keeps me busy. Keeps me out of trouble. No, it doesn't. I want to hear what trouble is for Bob Kravitz at this point. You're like, I know what trouble used to be. Yeah, now, I know. I used on. to be a wild man, but I've I've calmed down in my old age. How many heart attacks have you had? <laughs> oh uh, more than one. Bob blamed uh, like a second heart attack on me having him do that stand-up show. Mm-hmm. And it's probably factual, right? Have you previously killed a guy? Yeah. How many people have you killed? (laughs) Well, I think we need a whole segment for that. And I want to bring in Keith Morrison. uh, He wants a lawyer. Yeah. I do. And I know we've got to have ads with lawyers, so I know who to call. I'm going to check on that. All right. Uh, Kravi, I don't get to ask this question to a whole lot of guests just because of where we are in the country, but uh, you got a Stanley Cup pick? Stanley Cup pick. Um, gosh, you know, I I know Colorado is struggling, but I still think, you know, when they get everybody back healthy and their goaltender plays the way I think he can play, Georgiev, Georgiev. Really um, good. I, I, still think, I still think Colorado is the cream of the crop. When they're all healthy. One of the uh, funniest parts of Bob Kravitz to me was when Bob came here, the Indy 500 was huge, right? I mean, that was like, that was one of your two or three most important jobs. You know, when you come to the Indy Indianapolis star, you know, you've got to cover that. And you knew that 
you love hockey, don't really care for auto racing, and you never get to talk about hockey, and you had to spend a lot of time talking about auto racing or writing about it. Uh, that's kind of fun to me. I love when people get put in horrible <laughs> situations like that for them personally. I remember talking to uh, uh, Tim Franklin, who is the uh, the uh, editor in chief of the paper. He hired me back in 2000. Uh, you know, he said, "He said, how do you feel about uh, motorsports?" I said, "I don't know blank about." Motorsports. I thought you were going to let it fly. I like that, but I mean, I came close, man. Jimmy I got nervous. Close. You you would think I'd done radio before. Nah, and, some would uh, say he, he said, "Yeah, he'll figure it out." You'll they, figure it out. They make left turns and they go real fast. Hmm. It's really shocking that people like Robin Miller were resentful when you came in. That's a, a big surprise. Well, I I, I, I utilize the people who uh, knew their stuff. I mean, Robin Miller was very helpful to me when he wasn't ripping me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but... So, uh, Kirk Cavan. That's how Brendan's been with me so far. I like it. What's that? That's how Brendan uh, King here right next to me. That's how he's been so far. He has been incredibly helpful. You know, I'm a rank amateur. I don't really know what I'm doing. I don't have to tell the audience. Yeah, it's obvious. And, uh, Brendan's been very helpful. And then he throws in these little jabs underneath, which makes me feel like, I'm one of the guys. We're boys. I like that. I love that about it. Bob, uh, I got in trouble the last break. I'm going to let you go right now. I wish I had a buzzer. That's my thing I love to do. Uh, <laughs> thanks again, Bob. Bob Kravitz. Hey, my pleasure, man. The athletic. Sean Morris, uh, Big Ten. I believe he's done more Big Ten games than probably anyone ever as an analyst. He's Northwestern. Uh, Hall of Famer, three-time academic All-American, and one of my best friends in high school. We used to listen to Motley Crue. It was the 80s. Uh, Is any of this true, Sean Morris? Uh, All of it true, except for one thing. I am not in the Northwestern Hall of Fame. Wait a minute. Wow. Is accurate. Who, I mean, how many basketball players are in the Northwestern Hall of Fame? Three? I mean, I think... I, I don't know. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I, I I just know I'm not one of them. But everything else, uh, especially Motley Crue, circa 1982, mm-hmm. uh, all true. Now we did not wear the spandex, but everything else is right on point. That's fact. That's a fact. Is that a cassette tape or a CD? Oh, the cassette, yeah. right? Cassettes. Cassettes and the tail end of eight tracks. Yes, and the tail end of eight tracks. <laughs> <laughs> now, Sean, uh, what about the uh, part you have done more? Uh, Big Ten games than anyone is that that would have to be factual, right? I don't know if it's a fact, but uh, I've done a lot. I've, I've Scott. I've in all seriousness, I've been very, very fortunate to get involved uh, completely by accident in TV thirty years ago, uh, way back when things were still regionalized and and you had syndicators and have just been able to kind of hang around and and you know have the role grow a little bit. But you know I. I, I always tell them I may not be good, but I'm always on time, and I always show up. And if you show up, you know, you hopefully you get another gig. Brendan, you believe in that, right, Brendan? That's the name of the game in calling games. Yeah, Brendan is the voice of the South Bend what? Cubs. Cubs. They there go by go. the Cubs. Yes. We're the Cubbies. The Cubbies. 
Now, Sean, um, you are the guy that when you know it's a Big Ten game, you're listening or watching on the Big Ten Network, and it's like, oh, there's that guy. I don't know what his name is, but he always is good. And you're excited and you're happy that it's that guy, Sean Morris. How's your thoughts this year? I mean, the Big Ten cannot be the way you looked at it going in. I mean, you would be Nostradamus if you thought that Purdue was going to be like head and shoulders above everyone, and then you throw in Northwestern Rutgers are right behind them. What's going on? Yeah, that, that's a that's an excellent point. I mean, the one thing about Purdue, I would have never foreseen the year that they're having now. No, no way. But the one thing I did know is that year after year, you know, everyone kind of underestimates Matt Painter and the and and the Boilermakers, and and I think people thought, oh, they'll be you know, middle of the pack, sixth, seventh, eighth, something like that, that much I knew would not be true because they, they did lose a lot. But that guy wins with whatever type of style of play you want to have. And this year they've got, you know, once a, uh, once in a 10-year sort of guy and Zach Eady and a couple of freshman guards. But I would have not foreseen them having the type of year that they've had and kind of separating themselves from the rest of the league. But I knew they'd be pretty good. I didn't think they'd be this good. And then the rest of the league, you know, you mentioned Northwestern and, and Scott, the, the biggest thing there is that they've completely changed the way that they play. Uh, they focused on the defensive end of the floor and college football has, uh, you know, a national assistant coach of the year, the Broyles award. If they gave one for basketball, there's no question, at least in my mind, that it should go to Chris Lowry, who's the first year assistant at Northwestern came over um, off of a K state staff when Bruce Weber got let go the way they play now gives them a chance every single game. It all starts on the defensive end of the floor. And that they've probably been, um, in many ways, the second biggest surprise in the league just behind Purdue, just in different uh, degrees. And if you're not aware, Bruce Weber was the coach at Southern Illinois. Then he left to go to Illinois. Matt Painter came in to be the head coach at Southern Illinois. He left to become the Purdue coach and Chris Lowry was that guy so he comes from the purdue coaching tree as you might say did you ever face anyone that ever even remotely seemed like zach Eady? you were uh, 84 to 88 at northwestern was there anyone that was like that the only thing that comes to mind no one that was as good as zach Eady, but indiana I, I caught uve blop for a year yes okay and, and uve blop was seven two uh, and Scott, you and I both grew in the, you know, up in the same town. There wasn't a building as big as that guy. Okay? <laughs> so uh, that, that was the only thing in terms of size. Uh, and he had, he had the sweeping hook and just a really big guy. But no one liked Zach Eady because, yeah, he's 7'4", he's 300 pounds, but he's skilled. I mean, he, he can score with either hand. He, he, he runs pretty well, uh, very well, actually, for a guy that size. And I, it, it's just really enjoyable as someone that kind of you know, likes little nuances of the game to see a guy that comes in there and, and he just works, you know? I mean, he's not he's not a racehorse, but you get fed with workhorses, and this guy is a workhorse, and he's always continually putting in extra time on his game, and he's coachable. And uh, uh, the, I haven't – I never played against anybody that, that – size that was that skilled when you guard an uve blob 
who isn't as skilled, but you know, at least down low, he's the most similar guy. Maybe Isaac Haas. Those are the two guys I can think of in my lifetime that I've ever seen in the Big Ten who had that kind of just physical size and force. They have thick legs. A lot of times, guys that are uh, over seven feet tall, especially in college, they don't have much weight. They don't have much strength. How do you guard a guy? You were six nine. How do how do you guard a guy like that? Uh, you cheat. Um, as, as much as you feel you need to. And, and Uwe Blop, uh, I'll clean it up since it's a family show, but when I was guarding Uwe Blop, uh, the only thing I could think to do was pull on his shorts. And he went into a sweeping hook. And, you know, these, these were back when the shorts really lived up to their names, although things are <laughs> kind of coming back that way. Yeah. And I, I grabbed the bottom of his shorts and held on for dear life. And when he went into a shooting motion, I essentially pantsed him in assembly hall in Bloomington. And he, in his German accent, let the ref know that he did not particularly care for that. And the, the official gave me a thought. I said, you know, what, what in the, do you want me to do? Okay. So, um, <laughs> so that was, uh, that was my claim to fame with Uwe Blot. But uh, to answer your question, the, the only chance that you really have is that you have to try to get lower and you're not going to move the guy away from where he wants to go, but you try to move him maybe a half a foot away from where he's the most comfortable. So, you know, if you know that he wants to set up on that right block and go over that left shoulder or whatever the, the situation is with the guy, if you can move him six inches or beat him to that spot where he doesn't get the chance to root you out, that's really the only chance you have. And, and because if you get caught behind a guy like Zach Eady, I mean, just – it's over. Uh, and, and it doesn't matter with which hand, you know, you try to overplay, he can score with either one. And I think that's what makes him so enjoyable to watch and so rare because forget about big guys. You got guards that can't score with the offhand. Sean, uh, nobody in the Big Ten has been able to, of course, stop Zach Eady. We saw Hunter Dickinson try the other day, didn't work. Eady still played well. And I realize IU. That game's coming up this weekend. They got Maryland tonight. But looking ahead for IU, the battle that could be Zach Eady versus Trace Jackson Davis or Zach Eady versus Race Thompson, can either of those two do anything to hammer Eady down low? I I think that, you know, that my guess is is that for periods of time, they'll, they'll probably put Race Thompson on them just because they want to uh, keep Trace Jackson Davis as much out of foul trouble because it, it, Zach Eady can foul out everybody. I mean, you know, the mascot – Everybody, <laughs> you'll get everybody uh, because I, you know, I've, I've watched the number of games on TV. I had one of their games live, and you know, it's not that that uh, you know th- he's getting the benefit of the doubt. They could call a foul on who's guarding him every time, and a lot of it isn't the defender's fault. So, you know, I, you, you try. I would think you're going to try to rotate guys on him. Um, he's a he's a pretty good passer, but you know, look for some scrape downs and, and some doubles. Um, you know, it, it, the Penn State game against Michigan um, this past weekend, which which I had, um, some teams may you know steal that, even though it's it's not an apples to apples. Um, you may see another big that doesn't get a whole lot of time that they'll start in the ball game and then just run that double at Edie and try to get the ball out of his hands, you know, especially early so he doesn't get into a rhythm. But but he's going to get his and he gets his without forcing it. You know, I mean. He, you can tell he's just playing. He's not worried about his points or his stats or his rebounds. Um, and, and I think that's what makes him even more difficult to play against. And, 
you know, because of the year he's having, guys, uh, you don't want to have Trace Jackson Davis get overlooked for the. I mean, it, any other year, the numbers that guy's putting up, uh, I mean, it would be just a complete no-brainer as, as to who the player of the year in the league is going to be. And um, you know, those two guys are certainly at the top of the heap. And um, it, it's it's in many ways it's enjoyable from a fan standpoint, but for those guys, especially Trace Jackson Davis, the year he's having, he kind of gets overlooked. I mean, and look at the numbers. They're, they're, they're ridiculous. You know, he's, what, 19 points a ball game, 11 boards, 59% or so from the floor. You know, he blocks about three shots a game. I mean, those, those are those are all American numbers, and he quite well could not be the player of the year in the conference because of Edie. He's not even talked about quite on the same level in the state. That's one yeah. of those weird things where when you're IU and Purdue and you have the two best players in the whole state. Now, you mentioned you uh, had Penn State uh, recently, Penn State playing Purdue uh, this week. Can you give us a little uh, uh, insight on the Nittany Lions? Because it's a different type of team than I can recall ever. Uh, Micah, Coach Mike has done such a great job kind of changing the whole culture of the team. They just feel like Penn State always had to outwork you totally. Well, this team will outwork you, but they have skill. Uh, Your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, and they've got, and Scott, they've got experience. I mean, uh, you know, Andrew Funk comes in, um, and and to answer your earlier part of your question, they just play differently because, I mean, it's no secret what they're going to do offensively. They, They don't really even attempt to touch the, the, the post with, with any post feeds. Um, they'll, they'll play five out for long periods of time. They want to spread it. They're going to shoot a ton of threes. You know, they make about 11 a ball game. And, um, you know, another guy, you know, Jalen Pickett. Look, any other year, a dude that's averaging, you know, 17 points, eight boards, and seven assists, you'd be like, yeah, that, that guy's going to probably be player of the year. You know, th- that's not going to happen for him. And he's really, really good with the basketball. Um, you know, Andrew Andrew Funk can knock down a three. They got really quick releases. They'll play small. They're going to try to spread it out. Um, and then their their real question is going to be, how do they guard Zach Eady? Okay, because they've got guys that that will go in there um, against Rutgers. They went out there uh, and uh, Miles Dread at about six four, generously listed, was guarding. You know. Uh, Clifford Morty. All right. Well, if 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 they do that with um, Zach Eady, and they might have to for periods of time, depending on foul trouble. I mean, you know, he'll look like a growth on Zach Eady. He's not, you know he's not going to have a chance. So they'll run doubles. They'll do. They'll, they'll probably play guys that don't play a whole bunch. Um, Caleb Dorsey might get a little bit more time. Michael Hen, not necessarily for what they're going to do scoring wise, but to use the fouls on Eady and then have the other guy come over and double team. Now they won't do that a ton. But they did it against Dickinson, and and it really set the tone. Is there one team in the Big Ten that you've uh, seen that kind of is under the radar? Because there's a lot of teams kind of in that 2 to 12 range that you're like, second half of the year, I'm going to have a hard time not imagining them being one of the top three or four teams in the Big Ten as it ends. Yeah, that, that's a really good question because, you know, you've got just that whole bunch in the middle. And it, it, it's not that, you know, any of them are bad. It's just that they're so really evenly matched. You know, I, 
you've, you've got a couple teams in the bottom at Minnesota and Nebraska. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be really hard for them to move up. And then, you know, I think it's clear that, that in many ways, uh, at least for now, Purdue's kind of separated themselves. But, you know, one team that, you know, the first team that comes to mind that really intrigues me um, is Ohio State. And, and the reason I say that is that there have been times this year they've looked really, really good. Um, and then there have been times, you know, they had a little four or five game skid where, you know, they had a few breaks that didn't go their way. And they're, they're trying to incorporate, you know, some, some transfers. Sensabaugh is, is, is an outstanding player. Uh, but that's a team that uh, they're really well coached. And you, you kind of get the feeling that um, they, they started to have a little bit of momentum until they ran into a really good Indiana team that kind of smacked them down. I, for, for some reason, my instincts tell me that, you know, here in the second half, that's a team I'm going to kind of keep an eye on that I think has been pretty good at times, can be better, and I think they will. I have nothing to base that on other than just my instinct and just kind of watching. Well, one thing you could base it on is the Ken Palm ratings right now, the number one way to uh, most experts look at college basketball. They're 28th in the country Ohio State's 11 wins, 10 losses. I mean, yeah. it's really been an insane season. I thought they were the dark horse to win the Big Ten. Obviously, that's way in the rearview mirror. But talent-wise, they have so much. Chris Holtman, such a great coach. It's just been kind of a strange deal where they lost a lot of close games. Yeah, they have. And, and that's why I just – there's just something that, that – I, I sense that they have a chance to, you know, they're not going to come back and win the league. I mean, that would be just, that would be the story of, of, you know, the last four years or something like that, if they did that. But I think that they're going to have a lot to say. And, and it, I just get the feeling that that's going to be a team here in the last four or five weeks of the regular season. that's going to kind of put some things in place. Um, you know, I, I get the sense that, that the point guard likely is, is, starting to settle in a little bit more. If he can do that, that's going to help a guy like, like Sensabaugh not have to worry so much about making his own play. Um, and they're really, really well coached. They always have been under Chris Holtman. And that's a team I think maybe um, to keep an eye on once, once the conference season ends and the tournament begins in Chicago. Sean, when it comes to the NCAA tournament, you know, two ranked teams in the Big Ten right now, which is kind of wild to think about with – with Purdue and Indiana, but that's just the state of the league. It's cannibalizing each other as you play these close games and you battle down the stretch. But when you get to March, we've seen teams struggle because either they've been tired or they played their best basketball during conference, but we've also seen teams rise to the occasion because they have been battle-tested. So do you, what what's the better route? I mean, is it is it better for a league to just hammer each other and then you get to the month of March or... I mean, would you rather play in a league where it's not as tough competition? Well, I, I, I think you'd like to find out more about your team during the course of the year um, and, and be tested. Uh, I think this year may be a little bit of an outlier is the fact that it's it's just been such a, a grinder. I mean, it always is, but I think it's even more so. And it's reflected in the fact that, you know, it's not inconceivable that, you know, you could have just about – with, that, with the exception of three teams, you could have teams that uh, have anywhere between, let's say, 16 and 10 wins in, in, with the vast majority of the league. And that's that's kind of an outlier. Um, I think you want to test yourself. Uh, and then so much of it's going to come down to then, as I always say about matchups, but also you know how things are going to be officiated 
you know, in, in, in a tournament atmosphere, you know, um, uh, using Purdue as an example, uh, are, are they, are they going to call all the fouls that, that Zach Eady is going to draw? You, you don't know. Um, I, I would rather have an idea of what my team is like to get tested, to, to um, go through some of those learning curves when, when the, when the lights are high and when they're bright, you know, Ohio state comes to mind. Um, you know, some of those young guys have, have struggled a little bit, but it's going to be not nearly as new to them by the time they get to to the NCAA tournament as if they were just cakewalking through a league that was that, where they were completely overmatching somebody. We've been talking to Sean Morris of the Big Ten Network. Uh, been doing this for 30 years. Crazy time. It is uh, the last question I would have for you, Sean, when you played uh, between 84 and 88, we're going to go in the way back machine. Who was the standout player that just was of all the Big Ten players? Because the Big Ten, you think it was loaded then. It was really the NBA was there wasn't a lot of European guys coming over or anything like that. Most of the players in the NBA were coming from the ACC, the SEC and the Big Ten. Who was that one player that just like no one seemed to ever have an answer for and you weren't surprised became great? in the NBA. Yeah. You know, um, to your point, you know, just to put it in, in perspective, Scott, you know, uh, during that period of time, 87, Indiana won it. And then Michigan won it in 89 and Illinois was also a final four team. And, uh, and this was a time when, you know, if, if a guy left a year early, it was a big deal, right? So you had teams that, that were really, really good teams because they played together a long time. So it, it, it was a different time. Um, a, a different game in, in many ways. Um, I'm going to give you, you know, two answers. The best guy that I had the uh, opportunity to get my tail kicked by, and it's a long list. Okay, it's a long list. Um, but for for fans who may not have been paying attention, uh, Roy Tarpley at Michigan was like a Kevin Durant before a Kevin Durant, where he would take the ball off the basket at one end with the rebound, go the end of the floor, could run, could score, could do all those sorts of things. I mean, he, he was way ahead of his time. And if he would not have had, you know, some of the issues he had off the court, there's no doubt in my mind, he would have been one of the top 50 players in NBA history. No question about it because of his skill set. And then another guy, um, you know, at Michigan, I remember when Glenn Rice couldn't get off the bench. Okay. Um, that's how loaded Michigan was. But you saw him, uh, and he might have had the best pure elevation jump shot. He always went up and landed in the same spot, um, and he had a really, really good NBA career. I don't think people understood um, how good that guy was because there were so many other great players in the league. So those are two guys that, that came to mind. But that the league was was stacked because guys didn't go anywhere where are you uh this week what game or games are you doing uh saturday i am at uh minnesota and they play maryland so saturday night right what is the i mean I don't think anyone wants detailed analysis of the Minnesota-Maryland game here in Indianapolis. Good luck with that. But I would just tell you right now, uh, do some like background information, you know, just some fun stuff, have some facts. Do you come into a game like that and you're like, this could get uh, 
not to be a good game? Do you have a little background stuff to just go to oh, in yeah. those circumstances? Yeah, you, you, you do that, you know, all the time um, because, you know, a great example was this past weekend, okay? no, If I'd have gone into the game thinking that uh, Penn State was going to roll Michigan by 30, I'd have gone to Vegas and we wouldn't be having this conversation because I'd be on my private plane flying around somewhere. So you never really know what's going to happen. So you always like to have those things that you can kind of pull out and, and make sure that, uh, you know, the, the, the game is still the thing, but you have to have, you know, some, some information that if things go haywire one way or another, that, uh, you know, it's not just radio silence because there's a lot of things that people can do with their time. And, you know, if they're, if they're flipping in, you want to make, give them a reason to stick around if the game's not doing it for you. That was Sean Morris, Big Ten Network. Thanks again for uh, coming in. Uh, Sean and I grew up together, high school uh, kids with a dream. We're both living. Yeah, look it. where you are now. Oh, my gosh, that's depressing. He'll be in <laughs> Minnesota watching Maryland play, and I'm here uh, trying to learn radio from Brendan King. I'm trying my best, Sean, with him. I'm trying my yeah. best. Well, I, you know, um, it's 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 really cool, Scott, that, that we had a chance to reconnect here, and and uh, uh, you've done real well. For, in all seriousness, you've done real well for Thanks. yourself. And uh, um, I don't know if you've been back there, but where we grew up, it doesn't look anything remotely like it did when we were there. Um, it does not. Not even close. No. I have been listening to one voice in. Indianapolis about the Colts when you know how there's sometimes there's just a voice that just makes everything seem better like the person you would go to he's like a sensei or her is a sensei for whatever subject you need maybe it was a teacher my voice my teacher is on the mower shop guest line right now mowershop.com Mike Chapel. Mike thank you for uh Coming in. You need to expand your horizons. <laughs> and, and, and increase your standards, but uh, I appreciate it. Well, I had Bob Kravitz on at one, so, you know, I have low self-esteem if I'm going to do I'm that. I'm not sure if I'm a step up or a step down. <laughs> That's what I love about both you guys. So, Mike, you remember when you came into this job and it was like a six-month job? That was nice, wasn't it? Like you just uh, you did the season, the preseason, maybe the camp. Then there was the draft, and it was over. Not was anymore. They, I tell you, and we've talked about this, is the NFL is a master of, of, of always being relevant. The only time there's really a downtime is once OTAs are over and mid-June to, like, the third week of July. That's it. Every other time. I mean, they've turned the draft into a, an event. They've turned the combine into the third or fourth, second or third most attended event on their calendar. They've made the Pro Bowl. People bitch and moan about the Pro Bowl, and it's always, you know, the most watched event of that week, on, you know, in, in TV. So in, in this year with that, what is it, a flag football, which I'll try not to watch, He'll <laughs> get great ratings just because it's the NFL and whatever they touch is gold. Mike, uh, a lot of fans are like, why do they just pick a head coach already? Do you think the Colts have been a little less aggressive in that after the whole fiasco the last time? 
No, I think they've been very aggressive. I mean, gosh, they had 13 interviews the first phase, and now they've narrowed it down, you know, in half to like seven. So, no, I think they've been aggressive. They're just they're taking the approach that you know you don't you know you, you don't win for being first. Now you you got to be right. Uh, now the only thing that if you wait and and if there's somebody you want and he goes somewhere else and you lose him, but but that's that's really seldom the case to where they were never in the Sean Payton Derby if he ends up anywhere. So they want to get it right. They had to get it right, and then. I've talked before the last couple of weeks, along with getting the head coach right, they've got to get the quarterback right. I think the quarterback's more important than the head coach, but they've got to get this coach right. They've done their due diligence. They'll have, I think, what we found out, and they're very secretive about this, the, the Colts. And I think they've talked to five guys on the second round. And I don't know whether Callahan is supposed to talk tomorrow, I think, but. You know, and then if they go after the Philly guy, Steichen, uh, you know that that's going to be a hiring after the Super Bowl. So, they, they, no, they've been very aggressive. Some, some people could say they've talked to too many people. I think you, it's kind of like when I go to buy a new car, and I go to three different dealerships, and then I don't know I don't know what hell I'm doing because they got me confused. But these guys are doing their homework. Chris Ballard and his staff have pared it down, and now the owner gets involved. So no, I think they've done what they need to do and they just have to get it right. Uh, Mike, Mike Chapel on the line with us. Make it easier next time, Mike. Just go to Hubler, Hubler.com. That would be... I, to, I, I bought my cars from Hubler on the south side for 40 years. There we go. I don't, that's why we had you on. You killed that one. Thank you. And why wouldn't you? Uh, Brendan, when we're talking about uh, this with uh, Bob Kravitz. He named off two names, and they were not Jeff Saturday. Chris Hagan, you might have met him before. He believes it is Saturday as the coach. Do you have a lean? Because Kravy thought it was one of the two offensive coordinators that they would go after. I'm finishing the story right here to post on Fox 59 and CBS 4 that I, I, to me it's got to be one of the coordinators. Uh, it, it, only because it, it's, again, the quarterback is most important, but then if that's the case, then you've got to surround him with the right coaching staff. And that starts with the coordinator who's going to be your head coach for the most part. And cause that's the only way it works. Anything else in it's not going to work. And then you're, you're on the the wrong path for the next four or five years. So the problem I have, I think there's some really good candidates on here, but the problem, let's see Raheem Morris, who's his coordinator. Most of the proven name guys are employed. So he's going to have to bring in – and these guys, when they have these interviews, they say, and this is who my staff – I want my staff to be. Because if, if you're a defensive coordinator, you have got to be able to sell that your offensive coordinator can be the guy to lift your quarterback and, and build your quarterback and develop your quarterback. And I, you're already running a little bit of a risk – Hiring a head coach, there's always a risk involved. Or they wouldn't be doing this every other year, not the Colts, but, but the league. And now you're adding to the risk if you bring in a defensive guy or the special teams guy, because now you're asking him to bring in an offensive coordinator and a quarterback coach who haven't been, for the most part, a successful quarterback or a coordinator for a while. So 
I just like the idea that I, I know who's running my offense. It's the head coach with people in place, obviously, because I, I think that, you know, it's so important to have the staff around you. I'm not crazy about the head coach calling plays like Frank did. I think there are times that there's, there's too much going on. But if you've got the, the Philly guy or the, or the or the Cincy guy, they've done it. They've proven it with, with, in, in, in different systems in a short period of time. The only thing I always warn people on is Callahan's not going to be bringing Joe Burrow and, you know, Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. Uh, and Steichen's not going to bring Hurts and A.J. Brown. So you've got to you've got to believe that not only can he be a head coach, but that he that he can that he can start with a new young quarterback and do it again. So I, I just like the idea of starting with the offensive mind and letting him kind of uh, build things as opposed to maybe there's to me there's more risk involved with a defensive guy or a special teams guy because then he's got to bring in a staff and you have to trust that he knows what he's doing with his staff, with guys that you just may not be names that people are familiar with. Mm. Mike Chappell, our guest on the hotline, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. Chap, one name that's out there, and this is completely hypothetical, and just bring it up because I'm looking at the guy's name right now, but if you do hire a defensive guy, I mean, Tampa fired Byron Leftwich. I mean, he did win a Super Bowl, but how much – to you, and again, this is just off the cup, but how much to you does the failure of the Bucks this year hurt maybe teams' appeal possibly with Leftwich? I, I, some, I suppose, but then, then you look into why it didn't work, and, and they had so many issues with the offensive line, and, and Brady is getting older, and he wasn't, you know, he wasn't the normal Brady guy, so I suppose it would hurt him a little bit. But we've seen that when, when things are really good around him with the quarterback and he gets some great skill players, that he, he's a quality coordinator. So that would be a name to keep in mind as well as a coordinator. But these guys, each one of these guys, no, no different than when Frank Reich went to Carolina. You know, he had to tell these guys, and this is who I would like my staff to be. And we may see some of his, his assistants with the Colts end up in Carolina. But no, that that's a name to, to keep in mind because you, you just want guys that have done it. Yes, you've got to find guys that who are the rising stars, and, and we don't know yet. You know what, D'Amico Ryan just coached what uh, six years, seven years. Uh, so you'd love to get that guy, but I guess where the Colts are right now, it's at such a crossroads. I would like to to lessen the risk as much as I can in a risky business. As far as bringing in coaches, I would like to kind of be as sure as I can. And then if it doesn't work, you say, "Well, at least, at least we we went with guys that had done it before, and were successful, and didn't work out." But I, I I just want guys that have done it before, especially on the offense. When you say somebody who's done it on the offense has experience as a coach, but then you know somebody that's gotten a second interview got an interview as the coach uh, this year as interim coach Jeff Saturday do you have a feel for where the Colts have you know fallen on that because it's such a weird experience obviously 
uh, Ursay loves Jeff Saturday. Jeff Saturday's been loved by the community. Then they didn't love him so much when he was doing a job they didn't think he was maybe as qualified for. Where does that stand now? Where do you see that standing? Well, I've always, the stance I've taken is no one should dismiss the possibility of Jeff Saturday being coach, head coach. I mean, if you don't believe that's real, you've not been paying attention to the owner. Remember, one of the things he said is, uh, you know, he's here for eight games, maybe more, or hopefully more. I can't remember exactly what the phrase was. But I just, I, boy, I just have a hard time believing they'll do that. I know it's possible. I, I just know it's possible because he's had his second interview, and the owner really likes the idea of. Of hey, what, what if he's here in February and he has a chance to put his fingerprints on it moving forward without all the baggage they had when he came in? I just think when you when you when Chris Bowder and his guys sit down and they look over the resumes of of all these guys, all seven of these, if if, if seven is it, if you look at everybody's resume and then you look at Jeff, you're going to say, I mean, how can you say that? This is better. You, you just can't. You, that, that's where you, you just have to say, well, my gut tells me that he'd be the best head coach. That's that, that's the owner. I can't believe Chris Ballard would, would ever take that approach. Well, l- let's see what happens if we do this. Because everything that Chris Ballard does now moving forward, you know, I mean, he, I say he's on the hot seat. He probably isn't because bringing in a young quarterback, it's going to take a couple of years to get this thing turned around. But I just – I just can't I can't let my mind go to where we're sitting there in three weeks and Jim Ursay and Jeff are up there and Jim's talking about and this is why we're doing this. I just I just can't think about the reasons he would give us under the other than this is what I want to do. <laughs> I just don't think that's a very smart, you know, approach. And the one thing that's bothered me through all of this is all of a sudden Jeff Saturday is just a pariah. I mean, people, there's a petition for crying out loud to keep him from being head coach. I, I it just, that's to me what's wrong with social media is it, it's fine to say, I don't think he should be the head coach and here's why. But when this thing goes viral and there's so much animosity towards Jeff. Now I, I realize it's based on the fact that, He's not head coach quality because he's not proven it. But I just hate the way that all of a sudden he's like, let's take his name down from the ring of honor. I just think it's, now that's a, that's hyperbole. I realize, but I'm not really fond of taking these guys out behind the woodshed and just beating on them because for whatever your reason, but that that's the media environment we, we live in right now. Mike Chappell uh, on the mower shop and mowershop.com. Hotline, Mike, uh, I think this is a perfect time to ask. What is your Twitter and your Instagram? Uh, I know you're a big fan of social media. I just heard that. Do you want to give that out? Uh, yeah, it's mchapel51 on Twitter, and I really don't do Facebook or anything else. I'm just a Twitter guy. <laughs> I would yeah. so love to see you like have like pictures of vacations and yeah, Instagram. I just, I, we need to get Chappie a TikTok. At, oh, my no, God. Your gra- the grandkids pop. The grandkids probably this love TikTok, guy, right, Jeff? Oh, yes. This guy's in the media room. James Boyd with the athletic likes to do TikTok, and we we let him do it. He's younger, and he's got energy, 
and God love him. <laughs> I don't. I, I have neither. Uh, so you mentioned that uh, obviously the coach is the first thing that's going to happen, but you see the quarterback as by far the most important element. Do you see Chris Ballard recommending someone that he still feels like he'll have the majority of the control on who he gets to draft? Because that has been Chris Ballard's role. And when you take quarterbacks that are retreads like a Matt Ryan or a Carson Wentz and Frank Reich says, those are my answers, then guess what? Chris Ballard gets the whole draft again. This time, though, if he takes an offensive coordinator, they've got to work hand-in-hand. Do you think that could impact who he wants to be the coach? I uh, No, I, I, I don't know. I, the, the quarterback thing is going to come down to which guy Ballard thinks is most qualified. Yeah, I mean, but no, the, the head coach and the GM have to work hand-in-hand. I mean, as much as I talk about the quarterback having to be the right guy, because if he's not, I don't care – who the coach? We, we saw this year. I don't care who the coach was. Uh, as messed up as they were, top to bottom on offense, it didn't matter. It wasn't just a quarterback. I, I still think that if the offensive line had been better and the running game had worked, that Matt Ryan would have been good enough. Not not to take you to the Super Bowl for crying out loud, but to win the AFC South because it was right there. But the head the head coach and the GM have got to work together. They have to. You just can't start this relationship with the owner forcing the GM to take a coach that he really doesn't believe in. I, you, you're just setting it up to fail. So I hope that after after they go through all this process, it's probably going to run another week or two, that Chris Ballard is really allowed to hire his head coach. Because I, I just don't know how it works without that. I, I just don't. So, uh, but, but again, then further down the line, if he and the coach are in, are in unison, hopefully they're allowed to do the evaluation because I'm hoping it's an offensive guy and they can talk about this is what we want in a quarterback, this is what we need in a quarterback, and this is what these quarterbacks bring. And then when the time comes and they trade up to number one, they can get the quarterback they want. Everybody that's uh, in the local sports media, my number one question, over the last year, even last the year before, the offensive line has been sold to us, and then if you look at their salaries, like this is, if not the best offensive line, one of the top five, and the last two seasons, this season was pathetic. The year before was really not that great, and truth be told, Carson Wentz sometimes saved them with his mobility. Sometimes he threw interceptions because of it. I just do you have any understanding what happened with Quentin Nelson's level of play cuz it's not just the left tackle there was such a drop in quality uh, I know he was injured 2 years 2 seasons ago but this year it, it, it's it's a head scratcher how much he and Ryan Kelly have fallen off Well and Braden Smith started the season not playing real well either Yeah I remember talking to Frank after he was fired here and we were talking just BS and we talked about the offensive line and he, he said they really had no answers if you get past left tackle and right guard because th- these are guys that I, I guess if you forget about the, the money but they had played at a high level they, they had I think Ryan Kelly dipped off a little bit at the tail end of 21 
for COVID and, and personal reasons. But, uh, you know, I, I think they started playing a little bit better. Quentin did and Kelly did and I think Braden did. Braden had a couple of bad games late. But I, the way they all played this year was really strange that they all kind of fell off at the same time. And they were already going to have issues at left tackle and right guard, which they brought on themselves. I mean, they've just they just mishandled the left tackle position going into this season, and even right guard to where there wasn't any serious competition for the starting job. So, hopefully, the silver lining of this past season is that Bernhard Ryman looks like he's got a chance to be the guy at left tackle. Now he, uh, you know, he had a really, really rough start. You know, primarily at Denver, and there were plays here and there that when you're a left tackle and you get beat, it's really, you know, it's obvious because you're right out there. But if they can get left tackle short up, I, I just, I've always taken the approach you can find a right guard. You know, hey, maybe Matt Pryor's your right guard next year because he's played decent when he's been inside. But they've got to get that. And, again, if the line can, can, can snap back to where it's just pretty good. You know, last year, I thought in 21, pass protection was awful, I thought, you know, in, in large part because of Eric Fisher at left tackle. But, but, but Taylor ran for 1,800 yards. So the running game was there. And that just wasn't all, all Taylor. It, it was the offensive line. It was Jack Doyle. And they just didn't replace, you know, they, they didn't address correctly left tackle, right guard, and, and tight end. Because go back and look at how many big runs Taylor had and and Jack Doyle was springing him at the line of scrimmage. So, so many things. It, it was a perfect storm of, of offense not working last year. And it was, I wouldn't say it's historic because they've had some really bad offensive seasons. But in, in today's NFL, to not be able to protect the quarterback and push the ball down the field. I saw today, I, I didn't see the, the interview, but I saw quotes to where when Frank was was talking with with the Carolina media, like what went wrong in Indy with the offense, and he said uh, the the running game and the uh, vertical passing game, well, that's all tied to the offensive line. So they, they've got to get that fixed, and if they can get that fixed and get the young quarterback in here and and give him protection and give him running game, then they've got a chance. Well, chap, just to follow up on the offensive line, how concerning would it be if? the more veterans on the line continue to regress and you're still dealing with the growing pains while you welcome in a new QB and you could be putting yourself back in the area of the early luck years when he was getting hammered and it could just kind of be a cycle all over again. Yeah, they, they I know people get tired of Chris Ballard saying, you know, offensive line, defensive line, but that, that's you've got to have that. I mean, we saw Joe Burrow the other day and, and all the sacks he took and has taken. That where you know, I go back to before luck, I, I go back to when Houston took David Carr first overall, and, and they, they beat the football out of him. You can do that. So, yeah, you, you've got to get that. You've got to get that fixed. And, and, and again, if I'm the team, I have to I have to anticipate my three cornerstones, you know, Kelly, Quentin, and Braden Smith playing back to where they've played. And then, again, if Ryman I, – I know there's a lot of ifs, but then if Ryman can hold up at, at left tackle and, and you can get – your right guard fixed, then you've got a good, you've got a good foundation. But they 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 have to, to you know, to get back like like I guess what we say, 
earning earning your salary, which they didn't do last year. It's it's tough to have that much money invested in those players and them not perform well because it's once you get going into the season, it's just so hard to, to, to mix and match. They probably started eight or nine offensive line combinations this year, and and it wasn't because of injury. It was because of performance, and that's just no way to be because it's you cannot grow as an offense. One, you can't grow as an offense changing quarterbacks every year, and you can't grow as an offense when the offensive line doesn't run, block, or pass protect. You can't play football that way. Did you, uh, when Anthony Costanzo was here, did you – realize how absolutely valuable he was because I watched the pass blocking the last two years and not only as the left tackle never been able to you know duplicate what Costanzo did but I watched Quentin Nelson become a at best average pass blocker when someone was next to him. Ryan Kelly has been a below average pass blocker since Costanzo left. I just have never understood what Chris Ballard thought he could do when no team in the history of the NFL won because they had the most expensive guard in one of the top three paid centers and then just go totally you know, cut rate on your left tackle. Uh, I know that's just me talking into the air, but it was me talking into the air, growing up an offensive lineman, and just saying, how can you do this? And then you bring up a really important point. Jack Doyle was a excellent blocking tight end. He was not much of a pass catcher at the end. So then... Chris Ballard decides to draft guys who maybe can catch the ball, though they didn't really show much of that, and had not one good blocking tight end on the roster. Again, it was a perfect storm of things. It's funny. I remember when Costanza was here and uh, Quentin was making his first or second All-Pro, whatever it was, and he, he was considered and probably was their best player. And we'd always talk in the press room about who's our most indispensable player. And it's always a quarterback because because it is. But after that, to me, it was always Costanzo, where he's not your best player, but you but it's too hard to win without him. And we always thought that he, he was one of those guys that you don't really appreciate until he's gone. I thought, you know, I sort of thought the same, same thing with Tariq Glenn. He never got the national attention he should have. He was really good. Costanzo wasn't that good, but he was pretty good. And they've just made two mistakes the last couple of years, the last two years on left tackle. Eric Fisher wasn't the right wasn't the right move, in part probably because of the Achilles. And he, it, it just he just had to come back too quick. I think at some point he even told us that he may have come back too quick. He ended up being a pretty good run blocker, but. Very, very poor in pass protection. And then they went into this year with with, with no Eric Fisher, but then with Matt Pryor. And Matt Pryor had one career start at left tackle. That was just a miscalculation. And, you know, and it, it, if you've got left tackle to where it's it's reliable, then, then all of a sudden right guard, not, you, you can kind of get by at right, at right guard. But so many things went wrong. But left tackle, you, just, you can hide – a substandard right guard, you can. You cannot hide 
a bad left tackle. People find him, and they even found teams even found the right guard when when they when they blitzed over him or stunted around him or whatever. So it was just like I said, it was a perfect storm of things not working, and the result was, you know, a zillion sacks, a passing game that couldn't get the ball down the field. They turned Michael Pittman into a nine point three yards a catch guy, which is crazy, crazy bad. And they made Jonathan Taylor look like just another guy, and he's just not another guy. He's better than that. Chap, last thing for me, just from Championship Sunday, specifically in the AFC and the game we saw between the Chiefs and the Bengals, I think everybody realizes that Burrow and Mahomes and throw in you know the rest of the young, talented quarterbacks in the AFC, it's going to be a grind to get to that type of game, the AFC Championship, for decades. And a lot of people thought entering this year that the Colts, they could have been one of those double-digit teams, including myself and a lot of people around here. But like what we watched on Sunday, that's what the Colts are going to need to get to, that type of quarterback play and just cohesive unit-looking ball club. So can they do it in, a, in that matter of time? Because, again, Mahomes and Burrow aren't going anywhere. Well, the Bengals did it in three years, didn't right. they? I mean, now I realize now, – what makes Indy's situation worse is everyone sits there and looks around and sees Mahomes and Burroughs and Allen and and Herbert and and all these guys and they say, "Gosh, I want one of those." Well, they're just they're hard to find, and that's why everything has sort of worked against the Colts. Yes, there was probably one time was it in nineteen or in twenty twenty when after Luck retired that maybe they could have gone for the, a quarterback in the draft, but they just haven't had a lot of opportunities and, and and that's why this year is just so critical because you know you've got a high draft pick maybe number one if you trade up to get it and you've got some guys that might be good enough i'm not saying burrow or josh allen or whatever i, I don't know or let's not forget trevor lawrence is in the afc south now too and he looks he looks like he's gotten it together with doug peterson but that, that's why you've got it that's why you've got to get the offense fixed you've got to get the quarterback fixed It'll take you probably a couple of years to get to where, you know, you're really strong, competitive in the division. But Tennessee's going to be in reboot mode. Houston's still a mess. So Jacksonville, we'll see. We, we've been down this road with Jacksonville before to where maybe this is the time. they. But now they've got the quarterback and the coach. So I think they're, they're going to be the team to beat. But you're going to have your quarter – if you hit your quarterback and he's legit, You'll have him on his rookie contract for like what four years, fifth year option, whatever. So you can get it done. Uh, you you can turn things around semi quickly, but boy, you've got to be right on the quarterback, or then you're back doing what they've done the last four or five years, and that's nowhere to be. There is nobody who gives you more information about the Colts. Has all the history, of course, Mike chapel fox 59 cbs for sports member of the pro football hall of fame selection committee thanks again chappy and uh go uh go hit the uh, snapchat you might feel good yeah, maybe a tiktok I'll, I'll, video i'll post a tiktok and you guys can watch it <laughs> thanks chap see you guys later